everybody. This is Blake Benz with the Blake Benz Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. We are inching closer to episode 50, and it's kind of crazy to think about. Back when I first started this podcast, I was like, man, I'm really just bored in this entrepreneurial life, and I think I'm going to just talk to myself and just see who wants to listen. And so absolutely appreciate my supporters and people who follow the podcast and listen to the podcast. And really what I want to do today is I want to do a good job of recapping a an event I was at yesterday where I was, it was a, uh, it's called Sharp. It's this event for healthcare professionals and had an awesome opportunity to head out there and share a little bit about uh, not just my business, but especially how people can build a really great culture where they work. And so if you've listened to this podcast at all long term, you've heard me rail against business owners who are really just just ruining their business because of their ego. And ego is something that is so insidious and it's so uh, I feels like it feels like if you're not checked with people who can keep you humble, it can really just run rampant. And a good example of that would be today I was talking to a business owner who said, Hey, I've just hit one million dollars in revenue, and I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to find some new books and resources that would be good for my business. And so I have I have a list of books that are pretty. If I was going to pick, like, let's say there was like a new business owner, and someone said, you know, what are the books I need to have for like the next five years of my business? Well, I would have these handful of books that I would always give out to people, and so. A couple of those would be books like Good to Great by Jim Collins. Uh, a new favorite of mine is It's the Manager. It's from uh, Gallup. Uh, I really like Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I really like Lean Startup. Uh, I really like Invisible Employee. Really like Start With Why. I'm excited to check out Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game. And I also really like uh, what's it called? What's it called? What's it called? Uh, oh, E-Myth Revisited. And so you have all of these books that are just incredible for business owners. And what's really exciting about these books is how timeless they are as well. You know, if you open them up and you dive in, it, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find a concept in there that wasn't applicable and wasn't useful for you. Now, I have some friends who are very well-read, uh, Carrie Lingenfelter, who was on the show last week, uh, I think of him as probably the epitome of someone who, when I think of leaders are readers, uh, he's always nurturing his own leadership education. He's always reading. He always has a new book that he's, he's, he's jumped into. And I know he's read some of these books from the list that I just said, and Good to Great, for example, he would say was a phenomenal book. Well, going back to this business owner that I was talking to today, he said, you know, I'm looking for some good resources. I've just hit the $1 million mark, and I'm looking for some new resources to grow my business. And so I, I named off uh, a few. Uh, and Oh, and one of those was Traction, How to Get a Grip on Your Business. And that one is really, really strong as well in terms of uh, just developing really good uh, procedures for how you go about doing your business. And this is relevant for today's conversation because yesterday at the event that I was presenting at, the event I was speaking at, I was talking about how do you essentially be a good boss and how do you develop a culture in your business where people are high performing, they're achieving great outcomes for your business, they're great employees, they're doing a really good job, 
And one of the biggest struggles that prevents these things from happening is the owner who is ego-driven. And it's so funny to me how after I was done presenting, I had a few people come up to me and they said, and I had I had talked about like the the anti-boss, like the person who, or the anti-good culture person, you know, the person who's like the horrible boss who is the egomaniac and only really cares about... And, and really what happens is you have a lot of companies where they're just so addicted to short-term games, uh, gains over long-term revenue. And so I'm going to push you and try to squeeze out as much as I can from you, knowing you're going to be burned out in eight months. But frankly, I'd rather take that revenue from you today and just find someone eight months down the road to replace you than really invest in you long-term. And so there's absolutely this trend of people who are owners who I'll take advantage of who I have today because I'll deal with the long term down the road. Now, some businesses are able to survive that way. Uh, my my uh, I have a friend of mine who works for a business where the turnover is just ridiculous, but they take an enormous amount of college graduates. And that's kind of their business model is every year they get this this injection of new talent and frankly, low-paying uh, uh, employees for their business. And even though they get burned out and the average tenure is like a year or two, every year they get a new surplus of people. And so for them, it works. Now, they aren't really, I don't know how, how you build something meaningful with that. I don't know how you build a healthy culture with that. But I guess if you're relying on you know this annual injection of talent, you really don't have to. But it was funny to me as I was talking about this and people were coming up and saying, oh my gosh, I had a boss like that. Oh my gosh, I worked at a place like that. In fact, I was talking to a woman who she said that she had worked in this industry for 35 years in the healthcare industry. And because her company was so toxic, she opted into resigning and retiring. And now she does something, she's still in the industry, but she ended up retiring because she, she just thought, you know what? I don't have to put up with this. And that's usually what happens is you have people... And it's so funny, one of the books that, I don't know if I said it on the podcast yet, but one of the books I recommended to this gentleman today was I said, you need to read The Invisible Employee. It's a great book because it talks about how sometimes we, we make our best, our, our most prized resource invisible to our eyes, and it's our people, it's our employees, it's the people who are front and center, who are delivering our product, our brand, service, what have you. And so what typically happens is, Owners do not understand that when people leave your company, it's not the worst people who quit first. It's the best people who leave first. Why is it the best people who leave first? It's the best people because they know their value and they frankly, they know they can get a job anywhere else. They know they can get a job at, you know, in the next month, they're going to have another set of jobs lined up for them to choose from as opposed to hey, this job chose me and it was really the only job offer I had. So what can typically happen is when people do not have healthy work cultures, they lose their best employees first. And that was the case with this woman I was speaking to yesterday, 35 years in the industry. And just in the few moments that I was talking to her, she seemed very humble. She seemed very easy to talk to. Actually, that was the second time I had run into her because I ran into her at an event the week before. Very easy to talk to. Uh, just seemed like a really kind, collaborative person. I would love to have someone with that kind of experience on my staff. And yet what happened was the business that was hiring her, that had her, 
they lost her because they didn't surround her with an environment that was worthy of her value. And what I mean by that is they didn't create a culture that that allowed her to flourish in. So what I would like to do today is I want to hit on a few different concepts that I shared yesterday. And also, wherever you are in your business, and this, this is something that's applicable, whether you have no employees, one employee, 10 employees, or more, because these are things you're going to want to start thinking about. And I, I had put out an article on LinkedIn a few months ago and, and got some pretty good feedback. I had someone who reached out to me, never met before, who had said, hey, I came across your article, really liked it. Um, and, and basically what the article talked about, I think it's called, What's Your Internal Strategy? And this concept came to me because I was thinking about how you know, so many businesses, they have such detailed external strategies for their business. And it's a strategy on how do I sell more? How do I advertise better? How are we going to innovate our business? Sometimes it's at, it's like the minutia of the business. It's like, what's our packaging like? You know, how do we, what's our branding look like? And so you have owners who get, they get really caught up in these elaborate, detailed plans for their business to make them more money. And that's fine. That's great. You have to do that. If anything, it's it's have a plan as opposed to having no plan, knowing that there are some business owners out there who don't have a plan. It's kind of like we're just flying by the seat of our pants and just hoping that we sell. And and so absolutely, there's nothing wrong with having that external strategy. The challenge that I gave to owners was beyond having all of this internal strategy that you're developing, you can't forget the most important part of your business, and it's your people. Your people is the most important part of your business. Nothing matters more than your, than your excuse me, nothing matters more than the people in your business. And so my challenge is, hey, you got the external strategy down, that's great. What's your internal strategy? Who are you developing within the company? Who's going to take over this position when that person moves on? What are you building internally? And how are you creating a team that is operating and it's firing on all cylinders? It's, it's operating like a well-oiled machine. And more importantly, what culture are you creating for your business? And I mentioned already, this is important for the solo entrepreneur and it's important for the, you know, the massive business owner who, you know, maybe you own an eight or even nine figure business. It's especially important for you because here's what's absolutely true about business in general. Things are going to happen regardless of if you put your attention on it or not. The same thing is true for the internal part of your business. You already have a work culture that's developing. And the reason that it's important for the solo business owner is because there is a limit, there is a revenue ceiling that you can achieve for your business. Here's how I know this. It's because scientists tell us, you can look for a study on this, but apparently there are only 24 hours in a day. And no matter how hard we try, there is no way to extend those 24 hours. Now, some people are better than others in terms of their ability to maximize those 24 hours. You know, it's, it's some people will, they'll do hourly work. And so they're making $15 an hour or they're making $12 an hour or they're making $20 an hour. 
And so they put in eight to 10 hours of work in a day. And that is essentially their, their revenue cap or their income cap for themselves. The same thing is true for a business owner. There are only a certain number of tasks that you can complete in the day, which by the way, this is one of the biggest challenges for business owners is focusing on things that don't matter. And so I'll spend two hours on something that did nothing for my business. But in my mind, I thought it would. I thought it was really important. And it wasn't until I actually got into it that I realized, you know what, this really wasn't a good use of my time. And again, I think of the owner who you know spends hours on in developing the website when it's like, man, done is better than perfect. Really, done is better than perfect. Move on to something else that's getting you more sales. Now, if that's the entry point to selling, maybe you do need to spend time on that. But if every single uh, person you work with comes with comes from someone that you met in person, and maybe they don't even know you have a website, probably need to spend that much time on it. It's really not that important. But so you as a solo business owner, there's a limit on what you can do in a day. And so if you ever want to grow your business beyond yourself, and that, depending on your business model, that number, that revenue number can be anything. It could be a $100,000. You know, I've developed a business model where about a hundred grand is the most I can do in a year. Or it could be someone, you have a business model that's enormously profitable. I think of a lot of digital marketing agencies that are flat out abusing naive entrepreneurs. But there are plenty of digital market, marketing agencies where there's only one person or only two people and they're pulling in a million dollars plus because they're very good at marketing to their customers. Now, not very good at marketing to their customers, but very good at marketing to their own customers. So wherever you are in your business, you want to think about this because either you are going to have people on your team down the line or you already have people on your team right now. And one of the things that I talk to about people or talk to people with uh, a concept that I talk about is sometimes I have people who they say, you know what, I, I have just really the good enough team right now. But down the road, I'm going to hire a really great person for this position. And I usually counter that with, with you know, well, what are you waiting on? Like, what's, why don't you already have that person now? And it's amazing how we will we'll sabotage our business because it's like, well, you know, I don't. And frankly, what it is, it's people who they just don't want to put the work in on their internal strategy. And I, I think there's a misconception there because actually one time, I think it was about four or five months ago, I was talking to a guy who he said, well, the reason I don't have a great employee in that position is because I really, if I'm going to invest in that position, I really need a genius for that position. And so this person is good enough for right now. Down the road, I will find a genius to put in there. And I thought, wow, a genius, man, that's, you know, what, what's the IQ score of that person? I mean, how are you going to find that person? And it was really kind of funny to me because I think, I think the way the conversation went was I said, you know, you really don't need a genius for that position. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, think of it this way. The genius is going to be the most expensive person. So I don't know if you can afford an actual genius. And I said, frankly, second of all, I don't know if the genius wants to work for you. You know, I mean, it, going back to ego, it's, it's easy to assume if I build it, people will come. You know, if I create the incredible job opportunity, phenomenal people will apply. It's not always the case. Sometimes people, you know, again, if they are highly qualified, if they have options, not only are you choosing them, but, but they're choosing you. 
And so you have your company as an option, but they might have three or four other companies that they're thinking, you know what, that's a lot better for me. I want to go work there. And so the question, it's less about recruiting. It's less about how do I find a genius? And it's more about, and here's where, here's where I try to flip the conversation. You want your A team for your business. You want an A team for your business. And so what a lot of business owners do is they think, okay, I'm going to go out and find A-level players. And if I can't afford that right now, if I don't have the time for that right now, then what I'll do instead is I will just let these people who work for me, who are not very high-quality employees, I will just let them be dysfunctional and unprofitable and what have you. And down the road, when I get to it, I'll get to it. When the business gets enough successful, then I, and I don't know where the line of thinking goes here, then I will invest in training for them. Uh, normally, I talk to owners sometimes who have the mentality of, well, at that point, I'll have replaced them with the A-team person. And all of this, I think my issue with all of this is that it's very slow, and I've been, I've been using that word a lot lately because there are things in business that make us slower than we really need to be. It's like I talked to a guy a few weeks ago who he said, yeah, I'm working on my business plan to launch my business, and I think I'm going to have it done in the next 12 to 18 months. And I'm thinking 12 to 18 months? Man, you could be in a whole different life circumstance by that point. I mean, you have no kid today. You could have a kid in 18 months. I mean, how different is your life going to be? You know, you, you're living in this area. You could be living somewhere else. You have no idea what could be happening 18 months down the road. You don't need to wait 18 months to launch your business. You could have a business plan written up tonight after dinner and be ready to launch tomorrow if you wanted to. And so people often, we create these mechanisms that make us slower than we really need to be. It's like I was talking to a guy who he said he's, he's been pre, his startup has been pre-revenue for, I don't know, maybe 14 months. And I said, man, if you're still in the pre-revenue phase and there's no end in sight, your business is working way too slow. That MVP is coming across way too slowly. You gotta get in there, get active and get aggressive for your business. The same thing is true about hiring great employees. So going back to what I was saying, people will tell me, well, I need my A-team, but I can't afford to pay for the A-team right now. And what I try to help people understand is you can build an A team out of B and C team players. You can build an A team out of B and C team players. Seriously. And I'm not talking about like trying to, it's, it's not like you're putting duct tape on your business. It's not like I'm going to make it good enough. It's that people can actually elevate their ability to the A level player when you give them the right tools to do so. And here's what I mean by this. I was talking with a guy who had been in his industry. He was a manufacturing company. And he had been in the industry for something like 25, 30 years. The guy was phenomenally gifted and talented. But he was seen as a C-level player. And the reason he was seen as a C-level player is because he was incredibly toxic. An incredibly toxic employee. Hard to collaborate with. He was always cynical. He always had something negative to say about the next innovative idea. And so the owners absolutely saw him. He's a C-level player. And frankly, we probably need to get rid of him. Now, was it to the point that they needed to get rid of him? Absolutely. This guy had been toxic for probably four or five years. 
You know, he had he had well beyond worn out his welcome. But I think what was really eye-opening about that situation was on the flip side, this guy had really been abused in the business. He had been asked to move for the business twice and done so. He had uh really dedicated and sacrificed quite a bit of his own personal life for the sake of the business. And he had been moved around through a lot of different positions that he had to relearn. And, and it was great for him in terms of his, his resume, but it was really the owners would say, Hey, we really need help in this area. Can you, can we move you here and develop you up in here? And he was like, yeah, well for him and talking to this guy. And it's so funny, as I'm thinking about the story, I can think about four or five other stories that are this story. Exactly. As I was talking to him, the reason he was so cynical was how little he had been thanked in his business. And he began to pull out the rap sheet of the, of the things that he had been wronged in and the way the owners had taken advantage of him and how he had sacrificed for the business and hadn't gotten any sort of pay thank you, any sort of verbal thank you. He hadn't had a single day off in months. And as I was listening, I'm pretty good at the BS meter. You know, I'm pretty good as I'm listening to people. It's not hard for me to, to, to flip back and say, you know what, you're just being, you're kind of just being the victim. You really just got to work through that and push on past that rather than holding on to it for the rest of your life. But listening to him, I could really actually empathize. I was like, yeah, I can see that. And so going back and talking to the owners, it was, yeah, he's a C-level player, but really he could have been an A-level player if you had just been someone who was thankful for his skill sets, if you had just recognized him, if you had just rewarded him for his hard work. And, and I know this is probably starting to sound kind of hokey or fluffy, but it's amazing how people flourish when they're valued. People flourish when they're recognized, when they're rewarded, and when they know their value. And it's not just about knowing their value. When they know they're an important part of the business, and they know that, I mean, just seriously, gratefulness goes a long way. And it doesn't take much to be grateful. It causes people to be bought in on the mission of the organization where they say things like, they take care of me. They look after me. You know, it's the person who comes in at, at maybe their, their shift starts at 9 a.m. and they come in at 8.45 and they don't clock in till 9. But they're already working because they're thinking, man, these people take care of me. I, I want to do a good job for them. This organization, it's, it's, it's important. I want to do a good job here. That's someone who has been valued by that company. And talking beyond even just valuing people, what I also noticed in, quote, C-level players is that they're often abused by the dysfunction and complexity of the business. And here's what I mean by this. I was talking to a woman a few days ago who she was asking for perspective on the job titles in her business. And this thing was a train wreck of complexity. There was something like 12 different levels in this company, which by the way, companies are becoming flatter for a reason. It's because people are realizing that often positions are, are um, they're an artifact that's been created to make people feel better about advancement. Usually it's, it's usually an ego play. It's, Ooh, I've moved forward into this position. And so, organizations are realizing, you know what, if we're just flatter, if we cut out the, the fat here of these random levels, I mean, seriously, we actually can, we can communicate faster and be a lot more collaborative when 
we don't have to talk up the chain five different through five different positions. Well, so she was asking for feedback on her levels of her organization, and it was needlessly complex. You had, I think, the difference between there was one position that did the same job, but if you the longer you'd work there, the different position title you had. So I think it was, I think it was like analyst, consultant, and architect, and all three of these were the exact same position. They did the same thing. It was that architect had been in the position for five to eight years, consultant was two to five years, and analyst was zero to two years. And she said, what do you think about this? Do you think this is going to help people understand the organization better? And I said, not at all. This is so needlessly complicated. It's so needlessly complex. And, and the draw in here with, with hiring great employees is you want to, it's just like whenever you start a business, you had a niche for your business. You had a, we sell this specific thing to this specific market. People flourish when they know exactly what's expected of them. You'd be amazed how many middle managers I've talked to who were getting coaching, who were they, their owners said, we want to imp- help them improve. You'd be amazed how many of those middle managers would have negative feedback given to them and they would return with, I didn't even know this was part of my job. I didn't even know this was important. I have like 12 different things I worry about. If I had known number 12 was actually number one in my boss's mind, I would have focused on that. But for me, I thought number six was number one. You know, I mean, it's it's needlessly complicated. It's kind of like there, there was a guy I was talking to who he was saying that he needs to hire an admin assistant position and he also needs to hire a salesperson. And he said, I'm looking for someone who can do both. I need both. Where can I find an A-team person who can do both of these things? And I said, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Your A-team salesperson doesn't want to be an admin assistant and vice versa. Your A-team admin assistant doesn't want to be a salesperson. But what happens is when people are they're asked to split their time into totally unrelated parts of their business, they don't flourish. They struggle. And that's just human nature. It's human nature because they can't fully engage on one line of thinking And it's also human nature in that people, like I said, they like to know what's expected of them. And it makes me think of this moving company out of Arizona. It's like a $3 million moving company. And the guy started it when he was 19 years old. And he's built it into this this six-figure, excuse me, the seven-figure business. Didn't have any kind of formal background in education. Didn't have any kind of formal expertise in hiring people. And yet he's built a business, five-star business, great reviews, hiring hourly employees. How did he do this? And it was funny listening to him because he said the the way I did it was I specialized every position down to the simplest form. And if people couldn't tell me what their job was in a sentence, I knew I had made it too complicated. And I even loved his thinking here. He didn't blame the employees. It wasn't, you're just a dumb employee. Well, you're just an hourly employee. Because that's sometimes what I get. That's, the, that's the, the bounce back I get sometimes from people. They say, well, they are hourly, so I can't expect them. And it's like, but yes, that's not true. That's not true. And he would say, if, if these people could not describe it in a sentence, it's not because they're incompetent or they're an hourly employee. It's because I had done a, a bad job defining their position. And listening to him, it was really funny because it reminded me of Steve Reineman, who was the, he was the Frito-Lay CEO from 92 through 99. 
And he came in in a, in a time when, when Frito-Lay wasn't doing very well. And what's so funny about his management style was his number one priority was removing the pointless complexity in the business. And what they had done for their salespeople, for example, is they had built all these analyst tools where if you're a salesperson, you have all of these spreadsheets, you have all this data, and you're expected as the salesperson to analyze it and then go out and make the decision on like pricing, packaging, you know, what, who we need to sell to, et cetera. And what Steve Reineman basically said was he threw out all of the spreadsheets. He said, you know, that's a sunk cost. I know we've dumped thousands of dollars into that. It's a sunk cost. Get rid of it. I don't want to use it. Salespeople, your only job is to sell. Get out there and sell. Get out of the office. Stop looking at your computer. Stop analyzing. Get out there and sell. And the business just exploded in growth. It exploded in growth. And the reason it exploded in growth is because the salespeople knew this is exactly what's expected from me. You know, think about the people who work for you. Could they move up from being a C-level player to a B-level player or even to an A-level player if you could simplify what's expected of them? And I even see people who you ask them, hey, what do you do here? And they say, well, do you want to know what my job says I do here or what I really do here? And it's like the person who pulls out the job description list and they say, oh, I don't do anything on this list. What I really do is, you know, it's a whole slew of other things. If you want your people to flourish, make it crystal clear what's expected from them. Same, and this, this concept's true in so many different levels of your business. If you want people to care about the why of your business, make that why crystal clear. We do blank. We do, you know, whatever that line is. It's, it's a challenge, I think, to us because here's the deal. There's so much stimuli coming in. There's so much noise coming in. There's so much vying for our attention. I think complexity is the norm. And so to elevate our business, to create something really meaningful, you have to simplify, you have to reduce the noise, and you have to filter out what simply is not meaningful for your business. If you haven't started developing your internal strategy, get after it today. It is going to unleash your business in a way you've never seen possible because suddenly it's not just you trying to build something great. You'll have people who not only will they care about the business, but they'll know exactly what's expected of them and how I know what my part is for this whole thing. And I'm ready to fully engage in that. And, you know, most importantly, I think going back to the, the woman I was speaking to who 35 years in the business and resigned because of a toxic boss, people are going to describe you in some way. Not even just people who work for you, but friends, family, what have you. People are going to describe you in some way. What are they going to say about you? What are they going to say? They're not going to talk really about your management style. They're really not going to talk about even the great ideas you had. They're going to talk about how you made them feel. And that all is based on your philosophy of people. How you treat people, your empathy towards them, your graciousness towards them, your ability to recognize and reward people, all of that says something about your character and your value system. And so maybe the challenge isn't so much even to simplify. Maybe the challenge is 
how do I get back to understanding what my value system is? And as is true in all things in life, once you've figured that thing out, it's worth fighting for. It's not something that you just easily can walk out because again, if everything's vying for your attention, your value system is no different. It's something that's worth protecting. It's something worth fighting for. And I think that's how you build a business that isn't just profitable, but it's really meaningful. It's the business where even when you have people who are only with you temporarily, they still call back 10 years later to talk about your business. They still, whenever they're, they're sharing to someone about their, their best job they ever had, they're talking about your business and what you did for them as opposed to, you know, uh, you maximize the revenue per hour of every employee. You know, come on. That stuff, it isn't important. And more importantly, like I said, you can have both. You can have an incredibly profitable company and really take care of your people. But as, in all, as is true in all things, it comes with a price. And often that price, it's the death of ego, which not everyone's willing to pay that. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, Blake, at goodadvicecoaching.com. We also, if you are a manager or you run a business, I have a management course. It is called Motivated Rockstar Employees, and it'll teach you how to hire really great employees, how to build that culture of trust, and more importantly, how do you have hard conversations and hold people accountable and actually elevate the business to that point of being incredibly profitable, but with a culture that people desperately want to be a part of. If you're interested, you can find more information on our website, goodadvicecoaching.com. As always, I want to hear from you. I mentioned my email already, but definitely check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, really anywhere you look, you could probably find me somewhere. Uh, as I mentioned when I first opened this episode, thanks so much for your support. Man, it means so much to me to have people in my corner, people supporting the business. I appreciate it so much. That's all we have for this week. Next week, we have someone coming on the show who I think you're going to enjoy. She's a friend of mine. She's an incredible person, and she absolutely understands how to hire great people. I'm excited for that episode coming up. Stay tuned, and I will catch you later. See ya.